Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. off this hour by asking you the question, where in the word are you today? Where in the word are you today? Um, Let's talk about the glory of God. So the first question and answer of the Westminster Catechism is what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glory is a big deal. God's glory is a big deal. We probably, in fact, I'm sure we don't talk about it often enough. So let's pause for a moment this morning and talk about the glory of God. Paul affirms in Romans 15 that the first and last purpose of the church is to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, the the Great Commission matters. And yes, the sanctification of the saints matters and generational discipleship matters and worship matters. And yes, caring for widows and orphans and others matter. But if in and through it all, we are not first and foremost concerned with and giving God the glory he is due, then, well, it's all for naught. So, the glory of God. You can't make uh, too much of it, by the way. The prophet Isaiah, in what might be uh, the most succinct verse about this in all of Scripture, and a key verse uh, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. And what will happen at that moment in time? Well, uh, Paul says in Philippians, uh, here's the deal. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To what? To the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. So what is the glory of God, and, um, and how do we give God the glory he's due? I think like a lot of other theological concepts, we have an awareness of God's glory, but we find ourselves limited in our ability to describe God's glory in all of its fullness. So you might be thinking of a brilliant light that you're blinded by when you look at it and try to describe it, um, but, but a brilliant light is actually a good starting place to describe God's glory. Scripture, scripture often describes the glory of God in terms of a light that shines brighter than anything that we could ever experience on earth. Just read Revelation 21, verses 22 to 25, about what it's going to be like in, to live in the fullness of the presence of the glory of God. Other biblical passages connect God's glory to his holiness or his weightiness, his significance. Um, Augustine talked about the gravitas of worship, the weight of God's glory is the way C.S. Lewis describes it. The glory of the Lord is a weighty matter. So whatever giving to glory, whatever giving glory to God means in all of its fullness, it certainly includes taking God seriously and not treating God as if his presence or his power are trivial matters. To glorify God is to give him the honor he is due. So let us never offer anything less than the fullness of our praise and worship, adoration, time, and serious consideration. 
let us give God the glory he is due today, as if it is the chief end of our lives. All right, next up, I've got Sarah, Sarah Zylstra from the Gospel Coalition. We're going um, to talk about the headline news of the day in view of an ongoing prayer conversation that's been happening in the city of Montgomery. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us again today from the Gospel Coalition, Sarah Zylstra. Um, she is a senior writer, faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. She is also the co-author of Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Sarah, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me. So as we experience, endure, watch, pray around, seek resolution in the midst of violent protests and sometimes riots that take place in cities across our country um, related to or in response to um, the deaths of individuals at the hands of police officers. So I'll just frame it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, In many, many cities, um, you know, there are there's looting, there is violence in the streets, and that's met by violence then in the form of, let's say, tear gas and those kinds of things. It's um, and then there's just this escalation. But there's a city out there that uh, that has handled it differently. And that's the city of Montgomery. So I want to point back to this piece that you wrote when pastors prayed in Montgomery. It's posted at the gospelcoalition.org for those of you who are listening. Tell us this story. You know, I love this one because Montgomery of all places seems like it would be raising its hand for riots and looting. It is. Uh, it has so much history in the civil rights movement. Um, it's where Rosa Parks was, Martin Luther King Jr.'s, one of his churches was there. Their um, places were bombed there. Uh, Freedom Riders were beat um, savagely there. So this is not a city that you would expect. It's not like a Switzerland. It's not a place you would expect to be uh, peaceful. However, about 25 or 30 years ago, um, a couple of pastors who were there saw the race problems. Um, this is a city, you know, cradle of the civil rights movement that's been struggling this for, with this for a long time. And so what they did was they just started praying together regularly and intentionally, and they would get together once a month. They knew a guy at the radio station. So thank you for your ministry, Carmen. He would just do a shout out to like, Hey, we're gathering at this church or we're gathering in this place over here. If anybody wants to come. And they started to get this um, gathering of pastors, black, white, reformed, Methodist, Episcopal, evangelical, um, Pentecostal, everybody would, would gather together. Um, what they did not do was talk about race. They didn't talk about diversity. They didn't even do a Bible study. Um, you can imagine how that would have gone. But what they did was they just prayed. They would come together and pray for about an hour. They prayed for their city. They prayed for their schools. They prayed for their churches. They prayed for the people. And then they would have a meal together and talk about like, hey, how's your family doing? How's your church doing? And as this, um, if you meet with somebody and eat with them over and over again, you start to develop a relationship with them. And they did. They became friends with each other. They started trading phone numbers. Um, They started swapping pulpits. They started doing ministry together. So if one guy had a food pantry, you'd send all your, you know, church members who are interested in doing that over to him. Or one church started a tutoring program and members from other churches could pour into that. So even though they didn't, weren't aligned theologically on every point, they were aligned on their desire that, 
you know, the gospel, the center of the gospel, Jesus Christ died for our sins. We have to believe in him to be saved and we want to reach our city. And those are the things that they united around. And um, they have been praying together for this city for 30 years in a regular fashion. And that for sure um, is something that, you know, contributes to the peace of their city. They also do it quite publicly. So when um, something happens a few years ago, they had uh, something happen where a police officer killed someone and uh, they called the police call these guys and say, will you do a press conference? Will you pray publicly for us? And again, after George Floyd died, they were called again and they did a press conference and then they did several public prayer meetings. So now that um, Sarah has shared a portion of the story, I know you guys want to go to thegospelcoalition.org and find this article as encouragement, inspiration, and maybe a pattern that you would like to Mm -hmm. duplicate in your own city. The article is When Pastors Prayed in Montgomery. Um, Talk with us about the role of, let's just, you know, let's just pick one individual. um, And because his name is in here, I feel like we can point him out. Um, You know, Pastor Jay Wolf, he got word after George, George Floyd's death that, you know, activists across the South were coming to his city. Um, and, you know, his first call is to is to call on other pastors and to gather together. Um, talk, talk with us about the influence of an individual in the midst of all of this. Oh, yeah, I love it. He's been there from the beginning. And so um, so they know, you know, when he actually got a call from a lawyer that was like, hey, we have to pull people together. And then they just do this. It feels like to me, it felt like teenage girls. When I asked him how they did it, the guy's like, well, I called my friend John who, and then we called Bob and then we were trying to get a hold of, you know, Jim. And this is just how they, because they have built these relationships. And I think it has to be this way. It's not like they're not organized into a, into a, a you know, formal group. It's really, they're just friendships that have grown up over time. And so they can call each other and tech, you know, um, pastor Ken Austin, after something happened in his community and, um, a young black boy who was sleeping in his home was shot, um, by a gang member. He was able to send out a text to his friends and gather people. He, he started a ministry that was a little bit like this, only more, more, uh, pushed down yet. So they do prayer walks throughout Montgomery. And what it is, is these pastors, but then also people from their church can come and they pick a different community every month and they ask the the schools and the churches there if they can stop and pray there. And the police help with this as well. Their chief of police is a believer. So I think that helps, but they'll just do almost like a parade of prayer throughout a community. And then they'll stop at seven different locations. It'll be a school or a church or a park. And then they'll pray and then they'll continue walking along. And what that allows for is for you to see different parts of your city and to pray for people there. It certainly brings attention to like, oh, what are these Christians doing? Oh, they're walking around praying for us. That's beautiful. And it also helps the the members of the churches and the pastors as they walk along through the city to A, see different places in different neighborhoods, and also B, talk with the people who are next to them. Like, hey, so you go to such and such a church. Oh, I go over here. Oh, how's it going for you guys? Or like, how can we be praying for you? How can we serve together? What do you know about this neighborhood? What is What do they need? So that has been a beautiful outgrowth. Another thing that Ken Austin has done, he's he runs a place called, he's a pastor, but he also runs a place called The Mercy House. So another thing that he did right after COVID was just start a little conference call. And there was only four people on it the first time. And he was just trying to connect, like, how can we help? Are are there, like, can we connect the food pantry with the school system, with the government, with the churches? 
And by the end, he had, I think, 250 people would hop on this call every week and they would just hear from everybody like, oh, uh, we need food over here. And like, oh, here we have extra food over here. And just the networking ability of it, where I think in a lot of cities, churches and pastors are so siloed, um, it's hard for them to even know what's happening. And really, it just takes phone calls. Honestly, it's just down to basic communication of like, where are the needs? Who can meet those? And if we have enough people on our phone call, um, we can just start connecting those. And it starts to be really easy to do. Yeah, it's super organic. And that mm-hmm. is one of the things I totally love about it. But it does take individuals taking responsibility mm-hmm. to pick up to pick up the phone. All right. I am talking with uh, Sarah Zylstra from the Gospel Coalition. we got to take a brief break and then we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Sarah Zylstra, senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition, co-author of Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. We had Colin Hansen on to talk a little bit about the book, but since we've got you on, I feel like we um, we have the privilege of talking with you, Sarah, as well. Um, remind us what the book is about and, and sort of the itch it's seeking to scratch. Yeah. So it has been just a year. We are coming out of a year that has been extremely anxious. Um, We feel that ourselves, if you think about like schooling from home, wearing masks, standing in line at a grocery store. And then on top of that, you've got worries about health, worries about the job market, worries about racial tension, um, worries about politics and the election. It's just been a crazy year. But actually, America's anxiety rates started rising long ago. It was in the 1990s when high school students started reporting that they were having more trouble thinking and sleeping, and college students reported they were feeling more overwhelmed, and adults started scoring higher on depression surveys. Between 1999 and 2017, America's suicide rate rose 33%. So this is this has been... The problem with anxiety has been a long time coming, and certainly the last year has ratcheted it up tremendously, but it's been sitting there's it's been growing for a while. At the same time, if you're a Christian, there's another layer to that because um, we know that our culture is sliding away from um, sort of a generic Christianity. Before the 1990s, Christianity in America was what Tim Keller would call thick. And that means like, well, most Americans, if they didn't go to church, they knew they should. Or they believed they would say to, to surveys that they did, they believed in God, they believed in an afterlife and sin and guilt. They held the church and pastors in really high esteem. 67% of Americans said clergy had high or very high ethical and honesty standards. And so there's just sort of a general, you could take a church bus through an through a neighborhood and pick up a bunch of non-believers, bring them to a Billy Graham. Um, crusade and they'd walk out believers like there was it was just a lot Christianity was a lot more visible and respected and closer than it is today and that has been shifting as well over the last three decades fewer and fewer people say they believe in God it's not what we call those committed Christians that there's still about 20 percent of Americans in the 90s and now who go to church regularly who read their Bibles who say their faith is very important to them and it's not even really the atheists There was about 6% of Americans said they didn't believe in God at all in the 90s. And that's the same today. It's that huge middle 75% that we'd call nominal Christians or maybe Christmas and Easter Christians that stopped going to church on Christmas and Easter and stopped saying they believed in God. And so that's where the shift is taking place. And that's why our culture is uh, moving so drastically. 
so there is there. So we wrote our book to address the anxiety of like, what do you do um, when you live in a culture like this? You guys are also just coming off of um, your big conference for the Gospel Coalition. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Make some, you know, for people who've never been to that kind yeah. of a conference and don't know what happens inside, you know, inside of an event like that. Just take us in there. And what was your experience? Oh, uh, I had it was it was amazing. And I think this year was maybe ratcheted up by the fact that we haven't been able to be together, but we mm-hmm. just gathered um, a couple thousand. We had two, our two conferences back to back in the past week. We had a couple thousand um, women for our women's conference. And then we followed that up with our right after with our national conference. And it was the most beautiful thing to see the church of Christ almost like that Montgomery story, like from there, they all, they all hold to a reformed belief, but they're from all over the country, um, all different racial backgrounds, um, gathering together to worship the Lord together. And it was such a beautiful time to be together. We felt many, most of them almost, I would say, or many at least had vaccinations. Um, and we wore masks and followed the social distancing. And I was worried it was going to be a little bit Uh, You know, like when you go back to church and it's like, oh, this wasn't the way it was before. It doesn't quite feel Mm -hmm. right. Um, And there was a little bit of that. But for the most part, it felt the joy of it was totally overwhelmed that there was um, awesome times of worship, excellent teaching um, and just sort of a recalling of us like this is our purpose. This is why we're this is why we're not anxious. This is why we're together. And we even if we are marginalized, that's okay. The church has been marginalized since it was born, Jesus works in the margins. So to, to be, but to be together in that gives the, an enormous amount of comfort. And like, you're walking with your brothers and sisters, seeking Jesus first and just resting totally in his providence. It was, it was a wonderful time of encouragement. I had a, I had a blast. It was great. My throat is a little bit hoarse from all that talking that we did. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I, I think I think that wetting people's appetite for you know for conferences and conference attendance is gonna it's gonna have to be something that we remind people that we all really enjoyed and loved prior to COVID and um, and sort of stimulating just remind just reminding mm-hmm. one another there's a joy in gathering together. There's real value in. Um, in, in hearing uh, and being fed by and equipped by really competent uh, speakers and people in all kinds of ministries across the country. It's a great opportunity to experience sort of the body of Christ in its bodiness. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a word, but um, and so I just I appreciate I appreciate all of that. Um, hey, when we um, when we think about what's going on at the Gospel Coalition and how you guys are looking around the country to help us see positive expressions, let me turn you on to For Charlotte, which is a similar thing to what's going on in Montgomery, and it, it's called For Charlotte. And Ooh. let me see, I think it's just really simply like forcharlotte.org. Yeah, um, the word uh, just F O R for Charlotte. Uh, dot org yeah. and then um, here in Middle Tennessee, everyone's Wilson dot org. Oh, um, I love and it. then yeah, and and in Minnesota, transform mn dot org. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just um, I want our listeners to be reminded that these things are happening across the country. Christians are getting together. They are not just praying for the good of our cities, but they're actually collaboratively working together. The body of Christ being the body in all kinds of places, bringing restoration and renewal, revival, uh, healing, and, you know, and addressing um, issues of poverty and race um, and, and education and on and on and on. So uh, there's, there are positive things happening, and I always appreciate, uh, Sarah, when you 
highlight those uh, in addition to addressing the challenges that we're facing in the culture as Christians as well? I think that's huge. We have been inundated with so many negative news headlines, especially now that we carry our phone around with us. So it's no longer, Mm -hmm. you know, you watch the news at night or you read the paper in the morning and then you set it aside and go about your day. You are literally like imbibing these negative news headlines all the time. And it makes us think the world looks like that. But really, if you there are so there's so much that God is doing and that Christians are doing. um, And we need to also be consuming that because that's where we get inspired. And our faith is grown by watching God show up over and over and over again. Amen. Amen. And amen. Uh, You guys can check out the Gospel Bound podcast. Gospel Bound is the book living with resolute hope in an anxious world. Check out everything that Sarah is writing at the Gospel Coalition. Sarah Zylstra, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a privilege. We'll be right back. All right. That is one of my favorite books of the year. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, And that's a good way to get it. All right. Ivan Mesa joins me next. He is an editor for the Gospel Coalition. He joins me today as the editor of Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. We're going to talk about what uh, deconstruction is. We're going to talk about um, these sort of viral uh, videos and confessions where Christians, well, frankly, announce that they're no longer Christians and the effect that that's having in the culture and how you and I can enter the conversation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Some people feel so saved that they never serve. Some serve at the hope of being saved. This is Max Lakato. Does one of those sentences describe you? Do you feel so saved that you never serve, so content in what God has done that you do nothing? The fact is we're here to glorify God in our service. Or is your tendency the opposite? Perhaps you always serve for fear of not being saved. You're worried that there's some secret card that exists with your score written on it and your score is not enough. Is that you? Well, then you need to know this. The blood of Jesus is enough to save you. John 129 announces that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The blood of Christ doesn't cover your sins, conceal your sins, postpone your sins, or diminish your sins. It takes away your sins once and for all. And since you are saved, you can serve with joy. This is Max Lucado. Joining me right now, Ivan Mesa, editor of Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. He serves as an editor for the Gospel Coalition. Ivan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Thanks for inviting me, Carmen. Okay, so um, my leadoff question is this. Where in the 110 miles of Georgia coastline or where else in eastern Georgia do you reside? Because eastern Georgia (laughs) sounds like a big, like, like you're not sure. It's like Middle Tennessee. Well, you yeah, you outed me out. Uh, home of the Masters, so Augusta, oh, Georgia. Oh, you're in Augusta. All right. Well, that's, that's right. fantastic. Um, so yeah, we're all we're all frankly jealous of the azaleas. Maybe nothing else, but def- yeah. well, maybe the pimento cheese. Okay. So um, <laughs> fantastic. All right. So Ivan, tell us about the book before you lose your faith, and maybe let's start with this. Um, what what does deconstruction mean 
And what does it mean to deconstruct one's faith? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think uh, to de- deconstruction this, this is this old literary uh, concept. It, so it's not used in that sense. It's mostly used in the sense of taking apart different elements of one's faith uh, and trying to make sense of what one believes. And so in the last several years, we, we have heard this used again and again on social media, somebody announcing that they're no longer a Christian, they're, that they're deconstructing. There are some people that deconstruct some elements of their Christian upbringing that may or may not be a biblical Christianity. It may just be some of their 90s evangelical uh, uh, youth group that they grew up with and trying to make sense of what is actually Christian the Christianity and what is just uh, evangelical subculture. And so it's it's used very broadly, and you always need to ask the person who's using that term, what do they mean by that? But generally, it, it may mean that they're leaving the faith or just trying to make sense of it and, and making the faith, the faith their own. Okay, so like you, um, I had never heard of Rhett and Link um, before they very publicly shared their deconstruction story with 16 million subscribers on their YouTube channel. So um, talk with us about sort of why this book and why now, and why the approach that you took, which was to have a lot of different people address the topic. Right. So that really is the genesis of the whole project. Uh, Rhett and Link, uh, I never uh, heard of them, but uh, they're the fourth highest earners on YouTube. And so for many uh, young children, parents with young kids, uh, these are two uh, people that are just part of their everyday lives. It's just this YouTube phenomenon where every day uh, these two guys are just goofballs. They're, they're fun. They're funny. They're, I mean, it's good uh, uh, humor for the entire family to join in on. And at some point uh, last year, they publicly announced that they're no longer Christians. And so for, for many Christians who, who had young children, teenagers watching them every day, really immersed in their lives, it, it uh, unsettled the faith of many young people. And so, uh, but th- they weren't the first and they weren't, you know, the, sadly the last. Um, I, they, they were just a, a public uh, example of something that we've seen again and again. Uh, high profile folks on social media announcing to the world, usually on Instagram or on Twitter, uh, that they're no longer Christians, that they're deconstructing or deconverting. And so, Really, we wanted to take advantage of, of, of that discouraging thing and try to help uh, those who are struggling with the Christian faith, parents of young ones uh, that are following these kind of figures online, and, and help answer some of the questions that they have. So I love the approach. I love um, the people who you brought together to address some of these questions. Um, if you're listening right now, many of the, the folks who um, participate in contributing to the book. And again, the book uh, the book is Before You Lose Your Faith. And yes, I have copies to give away today. So if you're interested in entering the drawing for the copies we're giving away of the Gospel Coalition book, Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church, you know the drill. Text the word book to 877 um, Karen Swallow Pryor was just on the show earlier this week. We love our conversations with Brett McCracken, um, Jared Wilson, um, others, Trevin Wax, who you feature here in the book. Talk a little bit about the approach that you took. 
Right. So first, we we tried to to just explain what this whole deconstruction phenomenon is about. Uh, and so there are several elements there where uh, there, 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 you can you cannot tell this story apart from social media, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a certain aesthetic. There's a certain kind of vibe. Um, and the the sad irony in in all this is that. Uh, many think that they're being unique, that they're they're bucking the trend. Um, and Brett, in his chapter uh, titled "Deconversion," is not as countercultural as you think. For example, he just he observes this this trend that um, that sadly in the coming years this this trend will only uh, multiply. And so, what he's trying to say is, if you truly want to be countercultural, then what you really need to do is stick with Christianity. Don't abandon it. And so that's the first kind of section. The, the, the middle section really is trying to explore some of the issues. What, what are these hot button issues that for many are the reason they, they abandon the Christian faith? And so uh, we're addressing topics like sex, race, politics, social justice, science, anti-intellectualism, hell. We're trying to help people, not, not in an exhaustive way, but just trying to, to address some of these topics and explore why these are the things that cause people to abandon the faith and just tr- try to help them get some answers. Uh, we can't satisfy everything that comes up, but we want to provide some handles on how to approach this. And then the last section, we try to just reconstruct faith. We're trying to point people back to the church, uh, to, to help the church be the church in, in helping those who doubt. Uh, also realizing sometimes people don't believe. And I think for us as Christians living in 2021, we're always shocked uh, by announcements of, of those leaving the faith. But if we read our Bibles carefully, we realize that this has been the case from the very beginning of the church. Even uh, one of Jesus' own disciples left him and betrayed him. And so we should be saddened, but we shouldn't be unsettled. And so the, the whole project is, again, to help build up faith um, and, and uh, encourage that we look, encourage people to look to Christ and to find answers within the church. All right, I'm going to continue my conversation with Ivan Mesa in just a moment. We're talking about the Gospel Coalition's brand new book, Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. We are giving copies away. If you'd like to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation right now with Ivan Mesa, we're talking about the brand new book, Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. We're giving away copies to enter the drawing. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Ivan, the church should be the safe the safe place for people to come with these questions. The church should be the place where we welcome conversations about doubt. Um, but that is not often what people get when they turn toward fellow Christians with with very, very serious questions. I feel like you are um, seeking to equip the church to, you know, sort of be her better self with this book. I was going to say, Paul, if he's talking, I can't hear him. So um, maybe he has muted his line or otherwise. All right. So um, let me tell you guys a little bit about what is in here while we're waiting uh, to reconnect with Ivan Mesa. So 
The book is really uh, delivered in three parts, deconstruct, deconstruction. So it's going to talk about doubt. It's going to talk about progressive Christianity. It's going to talk about deconversion. Um, and it's going to talk about deconstruction and help us understand what those are and sort of where we are in this cultural moment when people use that term. And then the second section of the book really deconstructs the particular issues, sex, race, politics, the Internet, social justice, science, anti-intellectualism, uh, and hell. And so when we talk about the the particular issues that people often raise or point to, when they sort of offer a public testimonial that they are deconstructing, these are often the issues at the center of those conversations. And so this is the part that I felt particularly um, important in terms of equipping us as believers to engage the issues of the day in ways that acknowledge the very real serious concerns that people have, um, the challenges that they are facing in a in a postmodern world and as postmodern people in many cases. Um, And then part three is reconstruct faith. So how do we actually embrace true belonging in the church? How do we deal with the reality that sometimes people do not believe? Um, And then, you know, let's take a really hard look at Jesus. Jesus may be, in fact, probably is so much more, so much more than we um, have ever taken the time to seriously consider. Let me just share with you, as I was um, as I was reading through this and reflecting on my own experience, there um, there are people out there, there are even institutions that see as part of their reason for being to deconstruct the faith of evangelical Christians. And so when I entered Princeton Seminary, uh, fresh out of the University of Florida as a you know person totally on fire for Jesus, uh, my my ministry experience had been in the context of young life. And um, I thought that certainly everybody that was at seminary would be a Jesus-loving freak like me uh, and come to find out that is not true. And so sometimes um, institutions, the institution where I got my seminary education, the, the actual curriculum is designed to deconstruct the faith of incoming students and not necessarily help you reconstruct it again. And so this is a book that helps you understand deconstruction It helps you understand the issues that people are dealing with, and it helps you positively reconstruct your faith or walk alongside someone who is struggling with those kinds of doubts or questions. All right, Ivan Mesa is back. Ivan, I just spent a little time sharing with listeners my own experience of an institutional effort to deconstruct faith. Um, Talk with us a little bit about the reconstruction part of the conversation. Right. So, well, let me just, uh, we, when we get, we get off, uh, I just wanted to re- reiterate how important it is for the church to play a role here. And the church hasn't mm, always amen. been very helpful in dealing with doubts. We try to give pat answers. We try to discourage questions because we're afraid that questions will um, bring up certain things that we cannot answer. And so what we're trying to say is the way that you reconstruct is by actually being part of a healthy church, uh, being letting the church be the church. And so we as, as, as parents, as youth group leaders, as pastors, we need to uh, be content with not having all the answers to our questions. We need to be fine with some room for growth and, uh, and saying, hey, let's figure out the answer to this question together without feeling we have to answer within a minute. So I think the way that we reconstruct is by trusting God's sovereignty and by empowering those around us to be fine with questions unanswered for a season. Hmm. And then um, 
if we're, you know, maybe somebody in our family or a friend, a friend at church is having you know really serious doubts, I think getting to the place where I'm comfortable walking with a doubting person is, is really important. Um, and not being afraid that the questions of another person are somehow going to be bigger or more powerful than the truth of who God is. That's right. Yeah. And I think this is where we need a good, big theology. We need a good doctrine of who God is as a big God. And uh, just realizing ourselves, just thinking about our own stories, our own testimonies. Uh, we didn't come into this world with all the answers figured out. Uh, even as new believers early on in our faith, we don't have it all figured out. And this is where the church plays that key role in helping us to develop and grow and trusting that the, the Lord is working through through our lives, through our conversations, through the preaching of the Word. And I think we just need to have a, a big dose of trust in, in, in who God is. Okay, so um, I have an editor question for you. Yeah. So um, my guess is that sometimes you have authors who want to make up words. I had to look uh, up disenculturation. I, I discovered that it actually is a word. It's not a made-up word. But let's talk about that word because, man, that is really fun. Don't deconstruct, disenculturate instead. Can you tell people briefly what that means? Sure. And this is what I, what I kind of alluded to in the beginning of our conversation. For those of us who grew up in the church, I think we just need to be mindful of the fact that there are certain things that we grew up with in our evangelical subcultures. Uh, think kind of, wow, Worship 2000. I mean, I, I loved all those mm-hmm. CDs, all that music. Uh, but there are certain things in our youth group experience that may or may not always be biblical Christianity. And so uh, disenculturate basically means there, there are cultural things that we experience as believers in, our, in different contexts that are not always biblical Christianity. And I think the, a, a mature, healthy faith always wrestles with that reality. Um, we, we, we have to figure out what is it that is actually in the Bible and what are just some ways that, that, are, that Christianity is expressed culturally. And so um, for any of us, who, again, who grew up in, in the Christian world and in the, in, in the church as a, as a teenager or whatnot, young adult, um, we eventually come to look back with fondness, with appreciation, and just see, okay, that maybe that wasn't always an expression of of um, of biblical Christianity, and that's fine. And that 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 means you're just in, you're not just inheriting your faith; you're making faith your own. And uh, we want to guard against a jadedness. Uh, about that, but I think it's just mature, robust faith that all of us have to deal with as believers. So good. So good. That's Ivan Mesa. You can find him at the Gospel Coalition, the book that we're featuring today. And I'm really, you know, just genuinely excited, uh, excited about the content of this book and the impact that it's going to have on us as we are equipped to walk with fellow believers um, who are in seasons of doubt and have very real questions in the culture today. The book is Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. We're giving away copies you can enter to win by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Ivan, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, I'm going to encourage you to be careful out there today. Be careful. Be full of care. So it's not just about watching out for ourselves. It's actually about caring for others. So how can you and I be careful 
today, full of care for the communities in which we live, full of care for those who are walking in seasons of doubt, full of care for those who are hurting, full of care for those um, who might be walking with a really silent um, fatigue or desperate need. How can we be full of care today for the people around us? Um, so I think we sometimes think of being careful as, you know, keeping a, a, a watch out for ourselves and keeping our head down. Um, instead, you know what? Stick your head up today and uh, be full of care for others. Sometimes what everybody needs is somebody that is walking uprightly with the Lord um, and not in a spirit of fear. So be blessed today to be full of care as you walk your faith out into the world that God so loves. We'll see you right back here tomorrow on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.